hey, I want you to make a note of that song. It's called, I believe it's called Here Again. It's by Elevation Worship. Um, make a note in your phone. Write it on a piece of paper. When I'm finished with the sermon today, you'll understand why. And just go back and begin to listen to the words of that song. Uh, considering what we've talked about this morning. I have three more sermons in this sermon series on the overcomers. And I have saved those last three for what I would call the big three of the New Testament. I'm not going to tell you who those are if you have to, you can figure it out. But I think there's kind of three big characters and I, I don't know what heaven's going to look like. I think they'll have quite a a group around them listening to their story of how they've overcome and then there'll be some others whose name we don't even know the woman at the well and the blind man from John 9 that somebody's gonna have to point us out they're gonna have to wear name tags but I think the big three won't have to wear name tags but the one I want to talk about today is Peter and quite honestly it's kind of a almost overwhelming uh, the amount of material that we have in the New Testament to talk about what Peter had to overcome. And I don't know, we talked about Nicodemus and there were three scriptures related to Nicodemus. Well, there is a, an abundance of material that is related to Peter. Uh, and what we discover from the life of Peter, and we're just going to be able to touch on a few things today, is that Peter is the poster child of the one who overcame a character flaw or Christ, and through his spirit, overcame a character flaw in Peter's life. We've talked about three things that we overcome, uh, that we have some or all of these. We have past failures, we have character flaws, and we have challenging circumstances in our life. And Jesus overcomes all of those, and probably all of us could find uh, parts of those that we will give testimony of how Jesus overcame. But if I just had to condense down Peter's story, he is the poster child of the one who overcame a character flaw to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And really we get a sense of this in the first scripture that I want to read, and it's the first encounter uh, that Peter has with Jesus, and it's recorded in John 1, starting in verse 40. And we really just pick up in the middle of the story, his brother Andrew is a follower of John the Baptist. We just kind of pick up there, verse 40. It says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. I'm struck in the story by the first encounter that Jesus has with, and we call him Peter, but he's only called Peter because that's what Jesus called him. He is Simon, and his father is Jonah, so he's known as Simon, the son of Jonah. Simon would have been a very common name. Uh, the Hebrew word for 
son would be Bar, and so sometimes we've heard this before, Simon Bar-Jonah. It's actually, I think, in the Matthew 16 account of Jesus' discussion with, with, with Peter. Uh, it strikes me that the first time that Jesus sees Simon, son of Jonah, he gives him a nickname, which is kind of amazing. He, he, he nicknames him, and uh, Cephas here in, in John's account is, is Aramaic, but it's the word for rock, uh, and he says that, which is translated a stone in my New King James Version, but the Greek word for that would be Petros, would be Peter. And so Simon, son of Jonah, becomes known as Simon Peter. In fact, he, he even says that uh, in verse 40 when it says, uh, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He already talks about him according to that name because the nickname stuck. When we... Uh, call somebody the rock, uh, it denotes someone who is consistent, strong, reliable. I want you to get in the story, and we'll read some of it from the gospel accounts. At this point in the story, this is not who Simon, son of Jonah, is. He is not a rock. But when Jesus looks at him, Jesus tells him who he will become. It was who Jesus would make him into. Jesus sees his potential. In fact, he was going to groom him to be the rock, even though he wasn't the rock. What, a, what an amazing thought that is that Jesus knows our potential and sees who he can make us into be even before we are. Amen? Jesus was going to groom Simon, son of Jonah, into a leader. Uh, but it's not who he was. In fact, Jesus, you got to understand this, because it's going to help us make sense of our own lives today. Jesus was going to pass... Simon, son of Jonah, through, through some experiences to get him to the place to be the rock. Do not think that the stories that are told of Peter are just stories that happened by chance. No, Jesus was passing him through those experiences to get him to become the man that he would call him would, would need him to be. What we do know from the Gospels is that this is who Peter was in his personality. He was a strong personality guy. Peter was aggressive. He was self-confident. He was a man of action. Uh, he spoke before he thought. Uh, Peter was always out in front. But what we discover from the Gospels is that as Peter got out in front, he was invariably tripping over himself in the midst of the process. 
We discover from the gospel accounts that Peter was impulsive. Uh, He acted before he thought. He spoke before he thought. He was, I think this is the way we would have said it back in the day, he was full of himself. Amen? (laughs) Uh, It seemed that his natural gifts, though, got in his way. And so what we discover from the gospel accounts is that he was inconsistent and he was unreliable. He was everything but a rock. As I said earlier, there is an abundance of material, biographical material on Peter. Uh, In fact, I don't know this, but just from reading the Gospels, I would say there is more material in the Gospels about Simon Peter than any other of the disciples. In fact, all of the other disciples combined. It's crazy. And I went through all those stories this week to prepare for this, to kind of sketch together a picture, but there's no way we can cover all of that. It's, it, you can look it up in a concordance. It's, it's too much material to cover today, but there is a pattern in those stories, and it is a pattern in the Gospels of inconsistency. Uh, yes, Peter is the one. When Jesus is walking on the water, yes, he walks on the water too. But how does the story turn out? He begins to sink when he takes his eyes off of Jesus. So you get this kind of, yeah, he's out of the boat. Nobody else got out of the boat, but he's sinking, you know. So like Simon Peter. Jesus comes in the upper room to wash the disciples' feet. And he's working his way around the room till he gets to Peter. Lord, there's no way you're going to wash my feet. Lord says, if you, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. Well, Lord, then wash all of me. It's like, boy, why don't you just for once you... Mm, you and it's like Jesus said, I don't know, you could go back and read it in John 13, but it's like Jesus just said, boy, if you've had a bath, all you need is your feet washed right now. Okay. So, Peter, so much of this inconsistency in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, watch and pray with me, Peter sleeps. John's account tells us, though, when Judas and the soldiers showed up, who was it that drew a sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant's ear? Cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Oh, it's Simon Peter. What does Jesus have to say? The Greek says, boy, put your sword away in that tone of voice. What are you thinking? We've already covered this. There's a pattern of inconsistency in Peter's behavior in the gospel accounts. In the gospel of Mark, there's two stories, though, I want to highlight just briefly. Um, in Mark 8, Mark 8, verse 27 through 33, <clears throat> this, this is classic Simon Peter. Mark 8, 27 through 33. Now Jesus and his disciples 
went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Now, if you know anything about the gospel, it's like, who's going to answer? Duh. You know Peter's going to have to open his mouth. But he's spot on. Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Now, Mark's gospel is somewhat condensed, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Matthew's gospel, Matthew 16, about verses 18 and 19, not included in Mark, Jesus, do you remember what Jesus said? Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Hear that. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say that your name is Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Wow. What a statement that Jesus makes to Simon Bar-Jonah and reinforces that statement that he's made. Your name is Peter. You're the rock. Now, in in Mark's account and then in Matthew's account also, it picks up here in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Oh, here it is. Peter almost made it. No. Remember, he's always running out in front of everybody, but he's invariably tripping over himself in the process. Think about this. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, just right there, you know if you ever take Jesus aside and begin to rebuke him... You're wrong, okay? I mean, just the wording of that, it's like, it's like, oh, what? Surely you can see this. Verse 33, but when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Wow. In those short verses, Peter professes Christ to be the Messiah. Moments later, he is rebuked by Christ. So quickly, Peter gets beyond himself and he projects in his own mind, what it means to him for Jesus to be the Christ. But Peter is 
wrong. He's thinking there's no way that the Christ would ever suffer and die. Now, Peter, you profess it, but you don't really even understand it. You're too far out in front. Classic story. One other classic story in Mark 14, verse 26. Mark 14, verse 26, and we'll read to verse 31. Uh, this is at, in the, at the end of the, the Last Supper. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Here it is, verse 29. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say, say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, likewise. Peter is so self-confident. And in that moment, he is ready to die with Jesus. But you know how the story plays out that night. That was not who Peter ended up being. In fact, it was one of the, the most shameful, I guess the most shameful experience of Peter's life. Uh, I can't help but think of what Luke says at this point. Uh, Luke inserts, now remember, Mark's account is somewhat condensed and the other gospel writers expand details on that as a general rule. But in Luke 22, Luke's account, 22, 31, and 32, it says at this point, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. That Luke passage, I'm struck. When Jesus turns to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon. He calls him by his, his, uh, his name before the nickname. Couldn't call him Peter because this night you're not going to be the rock. No, you're going to deny me. There is a certain sense of comfort. Surely as Peter looked back, that Jesus knew. He knew that Peter wasn't going to be up for the challenge. He knew he was going to fail. I, I don't know if that helps any. 
But do you understand? Jesus looked at him and said, I have prayed for you. And when you return, which is a statement, is no, you're going to return. Strengthen the brethren. Jesus said, man, I'm still there with you. And one of the things that strikes me about the whole story is that Jesus never gave up on Peter. Even though episode after episode, Peter shows his character of inconsistency, he is everything but a rock. Now this morning, I have chosen to read those two primary stories from the Gospel of Mark. (laughs) Because we need to understand who Mark's witness was for those stories. And we actually, several weeks ago, looked at John Mark. He is at the very core of the Jerusalem church. But let me ask you this question. Who is it? Mark is not an eyewitness to these things, not most of them. Who was Mark's witness to these experiences? What we learn from church history, it was Simon Peter. It's three decades after these experiences, Peter's in prison in Rome, and John Mark comes there and he sits, as we would say, at the feet of the old apostle and he writes down the stories. Do you understand? Peter tells these stories on himself. Let's be honest, if Daryl Smith was telling the story, I think there would be a few I would just leave out. Peter is Mark's witness to these events. And and most scholars believe that Mark was the first of the Gospels, and then as I've said, Matthew and Luke and much later John write their Gospels. I got to thinking how painful it must have been for Peter, even three or four decades later, to tell those stories to a young man, to record in a book for other people to read. I want you to understand it had a purpose. There was a purpose in Peter telling the story because to move past a character flaw, we must first acknowledge the character flaw. Quite honestly, I think by the time that Peter records these stories through the pen of Mark, that Peter is way beyond that. Surely Peter had come to the place where he would say, that is who I was. That is not who I am anymore. But Peter put it all in writing for all people to see. If I know his personality, there was a purpose in that. It's like Peter says, no, put it down in a book. 
And I'm going to show people, yes, that may be who I was, but that is not who I am. And that is not who Christ has made me to become. I am struck as the Gospels play out in the ministry of Jesus that Jesus never gave up on Peter, even in the midst of his failure. I, I, I was thinking about this this morning. I, I had a Facebook post this morning about this scene on the beach. But in uh, John 21, uh, in fact, Jesus has already said, hey, meet me in Galilee. And uh, no, there is a spot, there's a beach where Peter went back fishing with some of the disciples. And Jesus shows up on the beach that morning. You can read that story in John 21. Uh, there was a reason that Jesus showed up that day, and it seems primarily it was for Peter. Do you remember what he says to Peter three times? John 21. Think about it. What does he say? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? I think it was kind of hard for Peter to hear Jesus calling Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep, feed my flock three times. Simon, son of Jonah. Jesus cared enough and did not give up on Peter, and he met him at that beach to restore him. And what we discover in the story as we go into the early church in the book of Acts is that Peter becomes the rock. That's the testimony. It's Peter, days after the religious leaders have orchestrated Jesus' death that stands before those same people on the day of Pentecost, when somebody had to say something about what it was that was happening that day, that Peter stood to give testimony to Jesus Christ, whatever might come. And when you see the story in the book of Acts, then he's arrested. And what does Peter do? He, he appears before the very San, Sanhedrin that days before had condemned Jesus to death. And he stands boldly as a witness, whatever might come. Days before he had, stood, he had stood outside in the courtyard and a little girl asked him whether he was a follower of Jesus and he denied Jesus. But he's brought into the room. And you can read that in Acts 3 and 4. And you can see the story in the book of Acts that he's arrested numerous times, he's threatened, he's beaten, he's jailed. He's miraculously freed from jail at least twice that we see. But Peter becomes a bold, faithful witness to Jesus Christ who three, days, three decades later would eventually give his life. Never going back to the man that he was because that's not who Jesus had made him to be. The dividing line 
between the old Peter, the dividing line between Simon, son of Jonah, and Peter is the day of Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit. The Spirit is the dividing line in Peter's life. We have said about the overcomers that it is the, it is the blood of Jesus that forgives us of our past failures. It is the presence of Jesus that helps us to rise above our challenging circumstances. But we have said that it is the Holy Spirit that transforms our character flaws. What is it that the Spirit does? The first thing that the Spirit does is He shows us who we are. I think for Peter to change, he had to be honest about who he was and what his character was. He had a lot of big actions and he had a lot of big words. But it seems that he crumbled every time when he came to those experiences. You see, the Spirit is the voice of truth in our lives. I think that's why Jesus says to the seven churches of Asia Minor, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit, yes, convicts us of sin, but the Spirit shows us our lives from God's point of view. And the only way we change is to be honest with what the Spirit says is the quality of our life. The Spirit also empowers us to obedience. So Peter passes through all these experiences and he gets some of it right, but he invariably trips over himself. Until the day of Pentecost. And what does the Scripture say? That they were all filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit empowers Yes, all of them, but specifically Peter to take a stand and to be a bold witness for Christ, whatever might come. You see this same phrase. Peter, before the Sanhedrin, being filled with the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, boldness through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit not only shows us who we are, but empowers us to obedience when then we are obedient. Do you understand there had to be an experience where, where Peter breaks the cycle? Do you understand in our own lives that God will pass us through experiences over and over and over again? And many times those experiences will show us our weakness, but until we acknowledge it and allow the, the Holy Spirit to empower us to be obedient, to overcome it, we don't ever get past it. But the day of Pentecost, Peter stands in the power of the Holy Spirit and is obedient to what God wants to do in his life. And this is what we see in the book of Acts. That becomes the pattern. And when something becomes the pattern, it changes our character. And God changed 
the character of Peter from being inconsistent to being the rock that Christ projected him to be. And you know, I think one last amazing thought, at least to me, is that when the Holy Spirit transforms our character, then the Holy Spirit is there to assure us of who we are in Christ. The Holy Spirit reinforces that. Because there's other voices that want to take us back. But when we are obedient and we've seen the Holy Spirit work in our life and we've made that a pattern of behavior and it's transformed our character, then I really believe the Holy Spirit is there to assure us of who Christ is making us to become. And I think that's an amazing thought. Um, Amen. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And I want to pray. Before I pray, let me address those in the room and those that are watching. Um, As you have decisions to make for Christ, we are here for you. Uh, If you're in the room this morning, when I finish in just a moment, uh, I'll be at the front. You can come visit with me. Um, If you're watching uh, the live stream, uh, you can reach out to me or Cricket or Byron, uh, and we can pray with you. We can talk with you about any decision, anything that you need somebody to visit with you about. So we are here for you and encourage you. Uh, before I pray, I want to say there's just a couple of announcements I need to make uh, before we end. Uh, I think the live stream will actually go to those announcements. But if you're in the room, if you'll just stay here for just a moment, it won't be long. Uh, but if you would let me pray this morning, and then I'll be at the front if you have decisions you need to make today. Father, today, we thank you for loving us even past our past failures and uh, those things that have become patterns of behavior in our life, our character flaws. We thank you that you don't ever give up on us and that you keep working through us and bringing us through experiences to change our character. And so, Father, I pray that you would show us who we are and that we would be honest to respond to that voice of truth. I pray that you would empower us to obedience and that you would transform our character and that the Spirit would be that assurance of who you're making us to be. So, Father, we pray that you'd not only save us, but, Father, you would change us and you would use us for your glory. And we, all, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just quickly, um, we ask you to be in prayer for the family of Mary Taylor. Um, uh, if you've been here for a while, you, you will know Mary and Melvin Taylor. And Mary passed away yesterday morning. We're still waiting on arrangements uh, for her funeral. But she's been sick for a long time. 
Um, also, next Saturday, uh, the church is invited to a wedding shower for Kennedy Martin and Ethan Reyes. Uh, next Saturday, 10 to noon, I, I believe in the, in the FLC. Yes, in the FLC. Uh, so we would love for you to bless them as they begin their new lives together. Uh, we've had a great week with our community outreach center and have uh, uh, finished 99% of the painting. Uh, I think this week we're doing, we're installing some cabinets and some doors. And um, if you haven't heard from Byron, some of you will. <clears throat> so if you see his name pop up on your phone, if you don't want to do it, then just I would I would hang up on him quickly. Um, also, we are. Uh, we will be gearing up in the next few weeks to begin to reopen certain aspects of our church. And so y'all pray for us just for wisdom in those decisions. Uh, but one of the things that we need you to know as volunteers, we will need you uh, to step back into those roles. Uh, and we've kind of, we've been out almost five months now. We have some vacancies. We need some to fill some of those spots. And so just know that this will be a team effort as we gear back up uh, to kind of relaunch some of those things. Also, if you need to give your offerings, you can do that online. We thank you for your faithfulness. There are, there's offering plates up here, but there's uh, those offering boxes in the back. Uh, I know y'all think we're not even Baptists anymore. We haven't had a public invitation and we didn't pass the plates. Bear with us. We love you. Hey, I'm going to be at the front. If you'd like to visit with me, thank you for being here. You are dismissed.